Amen. Thank you very much. We always appreciate the musicians. George did a great job leading songs tonight. Amen. He might be a journeyman electrician, but he is an apprentice song leader for now, but he does a great job. We appreciate that. <laughs> Amen. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 6. Um, I usually feel when I preach on the subject that I'm going to, that I need to qualify it a little bit. Now, for some of you that may be new in the church, this is going to be a little bit uh, different, perhaps a little bit shocking. I don't think that's too harsh of a word. Uh, I don't, I, I'm not trying to be theatrical when I preach on this subject. Uh, you may take a little offense and how blunt and clear uh, I deal with this subject that I want to minister on this evening. Uh, but I do so for uh, a very valid and a very good reason, and that is uh, the problems that stem from this are unending. They are catastrophic. Uh, we're going to have to be preaching on this subject probably a minimum of four times a year, if not more, uh, until Jesus Christ comes again. Uh, it is currently probably the thing that I agonize over the most uh, as far as pastoring our church uh, and trying to maintain an atmosphere uh, of righteousness uh, and an atmosphere uh, of integrity. Uh, if you have small children here, not to worry, I'm not going to go in any direction. I've done this many times before that is going to be harmful uh, to them. It could spark a question or two, uh, but I don't believe it will be a problem. Now you're all wondering. Here we go. There's a debate today and has been raging for ever, probably. And it is the debate that has to do with the supposed conflict between science and Christianity. That it is thought that it's one or the other. The two are not compatible. To believe in the Bible, the humanist or the scientist or that type of uh, intellectual thinker uh, the, they think that to believe in the Bible is to commit intellectual suicide or believe in fairy tales. You know the kind of rhetoric uh, that they use. You've heard it in your college uh, professors' classrooms and through his lectures. Science is the reasoned, mature, intellectual approach, uh, and you can't have it both ways. You can't be a Christian, uh, and you can't approach uh, uh, life uh, through a scientific and a Christian lens, lens at the same time. But I want to take issue with that as I introduce our subject this evening, because what we're seeing happen today is that science is actually proving the validity of the Bible. Right. The more that is learned through science, at least in some avenues of study and investigation and exploration, uh, the more valid the Bible becomes. And this is especially true as it pertains to human sexuality. We are living today the consequences of the so-called sexual revolution. 
The sexual revolution, as far as the modern uh, application of it is concerned, began with my generation uh, uh, in the 1960s. Taking sex outside of marriage, having multiple sexual partners, having children out of wedlock, abortions that are now in the millions annually just in the United States alone. All of the things that I just said would have been shocking a little over a generation ago, but now those things are all the norm. The idea of sex only in the confines of marriage, uh, in a lifelong committed relationship, uh, is now labeled as archaic uh, or outdated. Uh, It is outright mocked uh, and ridiculed, uh, and it is even scorned today. But recent discoveries about human sexuality, about our physiology, our emotional makeup... uh, and actually the brain and how it works and how it operates in the context of our physical bodies is bringing us some very clear understanding that all that the Bible says about sexual expression among human beings is absolutely true. My first indication of this was a book I read a number of years ago called Hook. The book was written by two individuals that are not Christians. But as they began to investigate sexuality, they began to investigate the consequences of sex outside of marriage, multiple sex partners, and getting involved in a physical relationship in the mid to early teenage years. They simply began to investigate this as Secularists, not Christians, and they are both uh, uh, neurologists. They study the brain, and they came to the conclusion that the Bible is absolutely correct when it requires and, uh, and educates us that sex is only for marriage. Outside of marriage, it is a curse. Someone said these words, in the interest of tolerance... And acceptance, modern society has normalized individuals involved in sexual activity outside the boundaries of marriage. The feelings of shame and regret, not to mention the physical repercussions for such behavior, has been minimized or attributed to other factors by those who say that it is acceptable for adolescents to engage in sexual activity when they feel they are ready. I was intrigued by a term that I read. and This is actually the title of this sermon. The term is called the third risk. When parents or educators or even pastors uh, um, are trying to discourage young people from having sex, they will use the twofold uh, warning that you could get an STD or you could get pregnant. But there's a third risk. And the third risk has to do with the devastating emotional damage that is done to a person that engages in sexual immorality that is lifelong. Unless you find Christ, find healing, find repentance, 
The damage that's done is lifelong. A lot of the marriage counseling I do, it can be a couple that's been actually legally married for 15 or 20 years. But before they married, they were sexually active with each other. They pulled the curse into their marriage relationship. And I can recognize it now in a heartbeat that the trouble in this marriage is the dysfunction created by the fact that they were in fornication before they married. So enough said. I've warned you and uh, prepared you as best I can. Uh, The sermon is called The Third Risk, and I want to command your attention tonight, please. Uh, I want a very minimal of moving around this evening. It's very distracting uh, uh, when people start getting up and moving around. Uh, If you have to, of course, you can. Nursery numbers come up. If they need you in the nursery, otherwise, uh, sit tight. uh, uh, Buckle your imaginary seatbelt. And we're going to go for a ride right now. 1 Corinthians 6 is our text. We're going to begin with the second part of verse 13. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits commits sexual immorality sins against, that's a key word in our text, sins against. His own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So I want to talk first of all about God's purpose and God's intention. Now, I've said it before, and I've said it recently, actually, in a recent message, that we are more than our physical bodies. We are body, soul, and spirit. And I actually read this verse to you, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body, spirit, soul, and body, be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a reflection. When the Bible says uh, that we have been created in the image and likeness of God, uh, part of that uh, is that God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's three persons in one, uh, and that trinity uh, is reflected uh, in your spiritual uh, and physiological uh, uh, and psychological makeup. You are body, you are physical, uh, you are soul, uh, you are mind and emotional, uh, and you are spirit. You are not only your body, that is a part of who you are and a part of your identity presently, but you are also soul and you are also spirit. And each one of these features of our personhood has particular elements and it has a particular constitution and structure. Each has a voice. Your body has a voice. Your soul, meaning your mind and your will and your emotions, that has 
has a, a, a voice, and your spirit has a voice. And all three of those things have needs, and they're all intertwined with each other. What happens to the one can affect the other. In other words, what you do with your body can affect your soul and your spirit. When you indulge yourself in bitterness and hatred, for example, we now know that angry people, it affects their physical immune system, and they can get sick. Even doctors that are not Christians are attributing things like arthritis and female stomach problems and issues to things like anger. We know that stress causes ulcers. So what's happening to your soul in the emotional realm can affect your physical body. And this is the real blunder that is being made today. People are saying that sex is only about one thing. It's only physical. That's all it is. It's only about pleasure. It feels so good. And so we should just be able to do it. And all the other considerations have been ignored. The damage, the long-term consequences, and the impact that the physical act of sex has on your emotions and on your spirit. In Second Samuel, we have the account of David, King David, and his adultery. And the Bible says, And it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, not his wife, of course. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent, inquired about the woman. He ended up sleeping with her. She ended up getting pregnant. He ended up having her husband murdered. The child was born and died. David eventually married her, but when he was being moved upon by the beauty of this woman, he failed to comprehend the crushing blow of consequence that would slam down on him like an emotional and spiritual sledgehammer. It affected him emotionally. It affected his marriage. It affected the destiny and the future of his offspring for generations to come, and it actually shaped the future events of his life. The physical act of sex has tentacles that affect every area of life. Someone wrote these words. This was out of that book. A wealth of new data declares plainly that sex involves the entire person, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And in every other way, the physical ramifications of non-marital sex should not be ignored, which are STDs and pregnancy, but neither should the emotional impact. The emotional effect is not just a feeling, but it arises from the way one's brain is molded and damaged by bad experiences or inappropriate experiences and how this affects every area of our lives, including future decisions by becoming hardwired to repeat destructive behavior. Now, God created sex with a purpose in mind. And I can only talk about a few things regarding this very important subject. I'll mention two things that God had in mind when he created sexuality. One is permanence. Part of fulfilling God's intention 
is to permanently join a man and a woman together for life. That's marriage. Sex is part of the physical and the emotional and the spiritual dimension uh, that works uh, to fuse a couple together, uh, that holds them together for life, uh, that helps them to face crisis and difficulty uh, and challenge uh, and helps them to maintain their attraction uh, to one another uh, over the years and over the decades of that marriage. Uh, So the idea or the element of sex uh, is to create a permanent bond. Genesis says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. That verse that is first found in the book of Genesis was actually quoted by Jesus, and it was quoted by the Apostle Paul as well. That's how powerful that truth is. And the word joined there means to be cemented or glued, and it's the idea of permanence, to be welded together and to connect. And within marriage, sex does that. It achieves that. It attributes to the permanence of a marriage. But when sex is engaged in outside of marriage, the same dynamics that connect are set in motion, only there's no permanence. The likelihood of this couple staying together is very minimal. And so sex in that context actually does damage, and it causes a lot of pain. Sex is also for the purpose of emotional fulfillment and satisfaction. Sex will either be greatly fulfilling and satisfying, or it will become a curse, it will become unfulfilling, and it will become frustrating. One of the testimonies that I read in this book is by a woman named Lainey, who's 25 years old, and she said these words. This is a girl who had multiple sexual partners, and she said that sex just seemed like part of a date, and usually it took place by the second time I went out with a guy. It left me always feeling empty, but I figured that's just the way things are. And I still to this day feel lonely and hollow inside. That's not the intention. In marriage, it produces a dimension of fulfillment and attractiveness, even obsession, I might add. And it's part of the dynamics that help a couple in their connectedness in their relationship. Now, what is most fascinating about all that I'm talking about, and I want you to stay with me. I'm not, I'm going to try to be brief in what I describe. You can get uh, the book hooked, and there are other ones through our bookstore. But I want to talk for a moment about the impact that sex has on you physiologically. And this has to do with your brain and how God has created it to operate and function in the context of sex. Your brain is for a lot of other things, uh, intellectual capacity, memory, uh, decision-making, but it has a particular relationship, how it functions uh, and how it operates uh, with our sexuality. God created your body uh, and its components uh, to function in the context of his will. 
And when you take your body uh, and you use it uh, outside the boundaries of his will, uh, things happen like sickness and diseases uh, and various sorts of emotional distresses, uh, depression, uh, and various kinds of emotional dysfunction. Uh, That's because the mind, the spirit, uh, and the soul and the body are not being used uh, and utilized uh, under the umbrella of God's authority. Another quote says, Modern neuroscience research has uncovered startling new information about how sex affects our brains. The effect of sex on our brains can have all sorts of consequences. We do know that sex can literally change a person's brain, influencing the thought process and affecting future decisions. Your brain is not hardwired and fixed. They used to teach that the brain was, you know, pretty much developed by the time a kid became three or six or seven years old. But now we know that that is not true. Your brain is constantly changing and being affected uh, throughout the entirety of your life. Uh, The idea that, uh, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, uh, there may be some truth to that, but it's not totally true uh, because someone can always learn. Uh, The brain is pliable. uh, It is flexible. uh, It can constantly take on new types of information. uh, And that's why this is such a fascinating uh, uh, dimension, uh, uh, the connection between sex, uh, how it functions and operates, uh, and the function uh, of your brain. Sexual intimacy and intercourse releases chemicals, actual physical chemicals uh, into regions of your brain. One of them, one of these chemicals, and you've probably heard of it before, uh, is called dopamine. This is known as the reward signal, and it floods our brain with good feelings. It's called the feel-good signal. It's the rush of adrenaline. And once a person experiences that, it becomes addicting. And we will repeat whatever behavior causes us to have that feeling. And we begin to crave the feeling. We begin to fantasize about the feeling. What do I have to do to get this dopamine rush and its sexual activity that brings it on? And people, there are girls sitting here that you wrongly associate that feeling with love. It's got nothing to do with love. And I tell couples that are in fornication that your sex with each other has zero to do with love. You are not having sex with her as an expression of love. It's only selfish. And the same with the girl for the man. There are ulterior motives. There's manipulation. There's the good feeling. There's all kinds of reasons. But I can declare unequivocally that it has zero, less than zero, to do with actual love. And I can tell you that this dopamine rush, this good feeling that comes, is values neutral. In other words, it doesn't make judgments uh, about moral behavior. In other words, uh, uh, it would be kind of nice if when you did something wrong or shouldn't do, you don't get that rush. You only get it when you do it right, but it's, it's, uh, it's neutral. You can sin, you can violate, you can do wrong, you can uh, commit sexual immorality, look at pornography, uh, you can do all of these things, uh, and it releases this dopamine rush uh, that you become addicted to, again, that determines future decisions. You're going to repeat the destructive behavior. One girl, Jennifer, 19, 
wrote these words. After we began having sex, I felt dead inside a lot. I almost felt like I was invisible, except when we would have sex. Then I would feel alive for those first few minutes. I would crave sex for that feeling alone. The other two chemicals, one for the female and one for the male, the woman's chemical is oxytocin and the man's is vasopressin. And the purpose of these chemicals, what they do, is they release a desire for bonding and connectedness. We want to be with the person. We have to touch them, see them, be with them, interact with them. This is the same chemical reaction, oxytocin in a woman, that is released when she hears her infant baby crying. This is why... When a woman in the middle of the night, she's got a week-old baby, a two-week-old baby, however young, and that baby cries, it releases that chemical in her, and she has to go get her baby. She has to hold and smell and touch and nurse and feed that baby. Doesn't matter how tired she is. Men don't have it to that degree. That's why when you elbow your husband and say, can't you hear the baby crying? Yes. He doesn't feel it the same way you do. You have to go touch and smell and hold and nurse. It's oxytocin. And that same thing is released in sex. When you have sex with someone, that's a completely different chemical that makes you want to bond and connect and touch. It increases the desire. You want more of it. It creates a physical, emotional and spiritual attachment. That's why the Bible uses the term joined to his wife. A man shall be joined to his wife. This is what we're talking about. It's that connectedness, the chemical release, the activity of the brain, and the impulse and desire that is triggered. One of the quotes says, if people enter into a physical relationship unwisely, a bond results. Doesn't matter if the guy's married or not married. Doesn't matter if you're underage. Doesn't matter if the guy's ugly or the girl's ugly. Doesn't matter if the guy's a loser. Once you have sex, once you let him touch you, this is why it's a mystery. Why is that girl so hooked on this loser? Because she let him touch her. That's why. And now she's hooked. She's got to be with him. She's got to see him. She's got to talk to him. If people enter into a physical relationship, this bond results. This bonding can lead to a long-term relationship that is unhealthy and destructive because it was unwise to start with. Yet the bonding keeps the couple together even when there's abuse and neglect. Sex can make a person feel that the other person is the right one because of the bonding and the dopamine high that it brings. It can blind someone to honestly looking at the other's faults and lack of integrity and compatibility. In our text, it refers to a harlot, prostitute. You have sex with someone like that, a bond is going to happen. All of this stuff is released. There's a bond initiated, and then it's shattered. Now, the second purpose of this chemical dynamic that takes place when you have sex is that its purpose is to produce trust. Chemical floods the brain 
that produces feelings of trust. And again, it explains why women attach themselves to losers. The father of the girl can see it. The friends of the girl can see this guy's untrustworthy. This guy's a, a, a doper. He's a loser. He's a failure. He, what in the world are you thinking? But you see, she let him touch her, and now she has this insatiable compulsion to trust him. Tries to convince everybody, no, 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 you don't know him like I know him. So let's make an effort here, and I've got to move along quickly to assess the damage. Sex, outside of the boundaries that God has instructed, does damage. Our text says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against. The Apostle Paul didn't know what we know about the brain and these chemicals. He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wouldn't have been able to ascertain what I'm talking about here. But he wrote and said, no, no, sex, sexual sin is not like stealing a candy bar from 7-Eleven. Well, he wouldn't have said that either, but uh, it's not like robbing a bank. It's not like beating somebody over the head. It's not like violence or theft or anything like that. It's different. Because all of these dynamics uh, are loosed into a person's uh, experience of life now. uh, And it's going to govern decisions. uh, And it's going to drive them in a destructive direction in their life. So let's assess some of the points of damage. And again, I can't cover them all. And I've got to move fairly quickly here. But let me first say that what sexual immorality produces is an inability to form lasting bonds. In our text, or in a text in the Bible, John chapter 4, Jesus interacts and speaks to a woman who's had multiple husbands and relationships, and now she's shacking up with a man who's not her husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband in that you spoke truly. So something is wrong here. Five husbands. I mean, even in today's immoral culture, something is wrong here. A series of relationships. None of them last. Why is that? Here's another quote. The inability to bond after multiple sex encounters is like tape that loses its stickiness after being applied and removed, applied and removed multiple times. Dopamine, oxytocin, and vasopressin have a powerful impact on human behavior. Men may question why they keep going back to a woman who treats them so badly. Or they may wonder why they never seem to be able to feel deep inside a commitment to a woman. After having sex partner after sex partner, sadly, they simply do not know that their brains are flooded 
with vasopressin during sexual intercourse. And this neurological chemical produces a bond and every, with every woman they have sex with. And they do not realize that this pattern of having sex with one woman and then breaking up, having sex with another, breaking up, limits them with every experience to bond and their ability to bond lessons. This is why men will have multiple children with multiple women and can't commit, can't be a father, can't connect with their sons and their children in a normal, healthy way because they have wasted and they have spent their ability to bond. Their stickiness is gone and they just can't manufacture the ability to commit themselves in a relationship. Listen to these facts. Girls who begin sexual activity at age 15 to 19 years of age will have an average of 7 to 12 sexual partners during their life. That's an average. I'm not saying that's you. It's the average. That's what the statistics tell us. In contrast, girls and women who maintain their virginity until the age of 21 will have on the average two. Eighty-five percent of girls who have premarital sex think that the guy that they're having sex with uh, is going to marry them. But listen to this. uh, Only 12 percent of men, when he's having sex with you, think he might marry them. Sweetheart. He's ripping you off. Don't you get it? When are you going to get it? Let me talk secondly here in relationship to the damage about the trust factor. When you are physically intimate with someone, the, as I've already said, the overwhelming impulse is to trust this person. You'll give them your heart. You'll put your emotional life in their hands, and they're untrustworthy. They're going to hurt you. They're going to crush you. They're going to betray you. Another quote, a woman's brain can cause her to be blindsided by a bad relationship that that she thought was the one or was going to be good because of the feelings produced by the physical contact and the oxytocin response that it generated. You see, this fact alone should powerfully alter our definition of sex. The most reasonable definition suggested by recent brain studies indicates that sexual activity is any intimate contact between two individuals that involves arousal, stimulation, and or response by at least one of the two partners. If you're dating someone, you don't touch them. Holding hands, a man and a woman, a boy and a girl, a young guy and a young girl, can be enough to trigger the release of these chemicals. Studies have proven that to be the case. A study at the University of California shows how quickly this process can be initiated from experiments on hugging. We're not going to do any experiments here, but just take my word for it. From an experiment on hugging, we also know that oxytocin, 
is naturally released in the brain after a 20-second hug from a partner, sealing the bond between huggers and triggering the brain's trust circuits. So if you don't want to trust a boy, do not let him touch you. Touching, even gazing, positive emotional interaction, kissing, also release oxytocin in the female brain. Such contact may just help flip the switch on the brain's romantic circuits. So what this tells us is you better govern and you better control your behavior because the person you trust in life, uh, you're going to be connected to that person, uh, at least for the short term, uh, as you're pursuing them, uh, and as you get obsessed with that person, uh, and your future and your destiny uh, is going to be connected, and it's very possible uh, for you to get hooked uh, to a person, whether it's a boy or a girl, that is not trustworthy. But you're blinded, you see, because of all the good feelings that you've There is a warning here for parents and young people, particularly young women. If a young woman becomes physically close and hugs a man, it will trigger the bonding process, creating a greater desire to be near him and, most significantly, place greater trust in him. Then if he wants to escalate the physical nature of the relationship, it will become harder and harder For her to say no, and easier and easier for him to get her to say yes. The adolescent girl who enters into a close physical relationship may therefore find herself, because of the normal effect of her brain hormones, desiring more physical contact and trusting a man who may be using manipulative pledges of love and care only to get her to have sex. There's also the Longing factor here. This is one of the aspects, and this is a great mystery. I've been married for 42 years, my wife and I. And when we're separated, I long for her. I still do. I can still say that I do. I can be sitting at my desk here in my office, working away. She'll pop into my mind, and I smile. I'll send her a little emoji. I do. I long for her. When I'm traveling, it can be painful. And it's not just about anything physical. It's the emotional, loving bond that we have with each other. We like being near and we like being close. I went home from the office early today, got to sit on the couch, and I was thoroughly enjoying myself as she was cleaning the house, just watching her. I did help, by the way. You can ask her. And this is one of the aspects, however, that causes people to make very bad decisions after having sex because that, that, that intense emotional longing is now triggered. That is for marriage, nowhere else. And in marriage, of course, it's a blessing and it can last a lifetime and it furthers the ideal of a lifelong relationship. Again, a man and woman shall be joined to his wife. Listen to what one girl wrote. When we broke up, I ached all over. It was painful. 
I didn't miss having sex, but I missed having him so much more than I ever thought I would. I still don't understand what happened to me. Cheryl, age 19. Another woman wrote, Giordi, the hardest breakup I ever had was with the first person I had sex with when I was a teenager. Fifteen years later, I'm not over him. I still long for him. I still dream about him and think about him and compare every guy since then to him. Now I'm married. And I feel like it's a threesome in my heart. He is still here. It's like he is a part of me and I still cannot get over him. Longing. And then there's the emotional damage factor. And I don't have time to elaborate very much on this. All sin, whether you acknowledge it as sin or not, What's wrong with a little premarital sex? After all, if I'm going to marry her, I need to know how we're going to get along physically. So it's rationalized. It's not viewed as wrong. But all sin, whether you think it's sin or not, produces guilt and confusion. And this is especially true with sexual sin. What sin does, and sexual sin in particular, is... uh, That it removes the barriers and the gates and the walls uh, that protect your mind from the assault of guilt and condemnation. uh, And the doors are now open uh, and the weight of condemnation and guilt begins to press. uh, Whether you've convinced yourself that there's nothing wrong with a little sex outside of marriage, uh, nothing wrong with a little pornography, uh, nothing wrong with a little physical touch and making out. uh, After all, Pastor, we're not having sex. As part of the research, they've discovered that sexually active teenage girls are shown to be three times as likely to report that they are depressed all, most of, or a lot of the time as compared to girls who are abstinent, less guilt, less depression, less torment. Sexually active boys are more than twice as likely to report depression as boys who are abstinent. Sexually active girls are three times as likely as non-sexually active girls to attempt suicide, while sexually active boys are seven times as likely as non-sexually active boys to have attempted suicide. A girl named Christy, the age of 29, said, I had no idea how having sex as a teenager would affect the rest of my life. I didn't really know what love was. By the time I got married, sex was so confusing for me. It's been a huge issue in our marriage, and I don't know how to fix it. Christy, age 29. So let me talk about help. Let me talk here about healing. Let me talk about restoration. And let me talk about protecting yourself. There is healing. In the name of Jesus. Damage has been done. Healing is available. Restoration is available. For people who have been immoral. And as I'm preaching this sermon tonight, it's a little difficult for you to listen to as it's resonating and seems like it's striking blow after blow. 
But I want you to know especially that having been sexually immoral is not a death sentence because God is a creator and he is a recreator. He can take the person who has been immoral and make them as though they have never been immoral. He can heal the emotional damage, the broken heart, and the shattered emotion. I was reminded when I was preparing this sermon of the story of Moses. When God appeared to Moses and he said, put your hand in your bosom, like this is what God meant. And he did. And he pulled his hand out and it was leprous, diseased, like snow, it says. And he said, put your hand back into your bosom. And so he put his hand again and he drew it out. And behold, it was restored like his other flesh Leprosy in the Bible is a picture and an image and a type and an example of sin. Leprosy is a flesh-rotting disease. Sin is a spirit-rotting, an emotion-rotting, a soul-rotting disease that affects you internally. It affects you psychologically and emotionally and can affect you physically. And here we have this demonstrative miracle that God showed to Moses. And God is declaring the God that he is. He can take one who has become leprous. You have introduced a death-bearing sin into your life that is bearing a consequence. But one touch by Jesus when you recognize your sin and you come to him can bring restoration and can bring healing. God is saying, Moses, this is what you are. You are flesh and you are prone to leprosy. And this is what I can do. I can restore your flesh, even though it's rotting away with leprosy, I can restore it as new. And God can make you new tonight. He can make you new and He can restore your innocence. And He can begin the process of healing you from the damage that has been done. First John says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So not only does that tell us what God will do, but there is action that you have to take and you must take. You're going to have to judge your sin tonight. The text is a judgment concerning sexual sin. He is telling them and telling us, verse 15, uh, to flee fornication uh, and every act of immorality, recognizing uh, that you have touched something uh, that is displeasing to God uh, and is death-bearing to your soul, uh, and you're going to have to flee from it. uh, And the purpose of this uh, revelation uh, is that you would make a decision uh, to judge your behavior uh, and to walk away from it, to flee from it, as the Scripture says, uh, and never to go back in that direction again. And only then can God begin to heal you. You've got to detach yourself from it. And isn't it interesting here that all of this is connected with our relationship with God? There's something sacred about sex. There's a lot of ways to, for me to explain that, but we know that sex is what causes life. 
The Bible says that we were created in the image and likeness of God, and God has put the potential for life in the act of sex and in the womb of the woman where the baby incubates and grows and becomes a living human being and then is born and goes on to a destiny that God has crafted for them. There's something holy here. There's something sacred here. There's something honorable about this. And this is what the Scripture is encouraging. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your body, physical body, is a temple for now of the Holy Spirit. It is the place where God dwells. Therefore, do not introduce sin into the house of God. Do not introduce uncleanness, spiritual leprosy into the house of God. Use your body to honor God. Use your body to glorify Him. If you're in a dating relationship, don't touch, don't interact in any kind of physical or sexual way. And by doing so, you're proving yourself actually to be trustworthy and you're honoring and you're glorifying God. Our bodies are to be instruments to reflect His glory. If God is opening your eyes to the damage done, you can be healed. That's my final message tonight. If you're in sin, you can repent. You can come clean. You can get right. You can find forgiveness. Ephesians says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Won't hear a sermon like this in very many places. Thank God we're part of a fellowship that preaches the straight, clear-cut message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is a message to sinners. It's a message to the immoral, to the unclean. It's a message to all the unrighteous. Come unto me, all you who labor, Jesus said, and I'll give you rest. There's rest for you tonight in forgiveness if you'll repent. Let's bow our heads. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody moving around for a moment. Thank you for indulging me tonight and bearing with me in presenting this message. I'm going to make these notes available. If anybody wants them, you can get them out of the bookstore this weekend. You can order the book that I recommended uh, from Luis in the bookstore, Luis and Caroline. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We need an altar tonight. We need an altar. First of all, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you've never been born again, you're not right with God, and you know there's sin in your life. It may be the issue I preach, it could be something else. But the point is, you know you're unclean, you know you're unfit for heaven. You're not ready to stand before God and give an account of your life, but you really want to be ready. You want to repent. You want to get your heart right with God. You want to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're feeling the weight of your sin. It's not going to get any better. Like a disease, like a cancer, like leprosy that 
grows, it only gets worse over time. It's a miracle of God's love that you're here tonight. And you're hearing a message of love and forgiveness. You're hearing about hope for your life. You're hearing that there's a God in heaven who loves you, has a purpose for your life. And if that describes you tonight, I want to help you. I want to pray for you. I want to believe God to work a miracle tonight, which he will. And if you'd let me pray for you, you're going to be blown away at what God does tonight and what he begins to do in your life. Would you do that? Would you let me pray for you? If the answer to that is yes, yes, Pastor, I want to receive Christ. I do want you to pray for me. If that describes you, I want you to lift your hand right now. God bless you. I see that. Thank you, my brother. God bless you, young man. I see that hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? Lift your hand right up. Thank you. I see that. Yes, amen. God bless you. I see that hand, young lady. Thank you very much. Anyone else tonight? Lift your hand right up and put it right back down. God bless you, son. I see that. Thank you. Anyone else? Lift your hand up tonight. There's a wonderful saving grace of God's love here right now to touch hearts. The highest likelihood of being saved is right now. If you step out of this environment, you're going to go back to the same old, same old. You're not going to feel what you're feeling now. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the accepted time. Don't toy with God's dealings. Respond to them tonight. This is no joke. You need to repent and get your heart right with God. Would you lift your hand right up in the name of Jesus? You haven't already done so. Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I know I need Christ. My life is a mess. My heart is filled with dark sin, and I want to repent and get clean and get right. I don't want to live the way I've been living in guilt and fear. Lift your hand up right now. God bless you. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Anyone else, lift your hand right up. You know you need prayer. There are numbers of people right now that God is dealing with, but you're hesitating. I want to encourage you. I felt exactly the way you feel when I was in church for the first time. But eventually, I did respond. And oh, listen, it was the best thing I ever did in my life, and I've never gotten over it. My life was changed. My sins were forgiven. I felt the peace and the love of God. Amen. Would you lift your hand right now? Lift it up. Lift it up. Backslidden. Maybe this is the issue. You fell or rather leapt back into sexual immorality. Back to pornography. Back to fornication. Back to immorality. Maybe the very dynamics, the longing and the the bonding and the wanting to be with someone. You couldn't break out from underneath the shackles of that curse. God's dealing with you. God has brought you to this service to hear this sermon to encourage your heart that there's hope for you. Lift your hand right now. You're backslidden. You're away from God and you need to rededicate your life to Jesus. Lift your hand right up. Amen. If you raised your hand, I want you to look at me. Did you mean that? You meant that? Did you guys mean that? 
someone else over there. You meant that. I believe you did. You, you raised your hand. You meant that, didn't you? I believe you did. Amen. Would you come and let us pray with you? Would you come right now and let us pray with you? Would you come and let us pray with you right now? Amen. Someone's going to meet you right here. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Gabriel, you pray here. Yes, amen. You raised your hand. Thank you. Amen. There could be others here. You didn't raise your hand, but you see these coming. Why don't you come tonight? This does take a lot of courage, and I know you may not have come here for anything like this. Jesus died openly before the multitudes for your sin. It's not too much to ask for you to come and receive him tonight here in this altar. Slip out of your seat right now. I want you to come. There's others here. I I feel it in my spirit. I'm as certain about that as I am about anything. God's dealing with you and you're hesitating. Don't hesitate. Come to the altar tonight. There are people here. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. There are a lot of reasons to answer this altar call. And some of the reasons can be unrelated to anything I preached. That always happens in a service. God could be dealing with you about some other matter in your life. And you're going to come to the altar in a moment. But there are people, there are individuals here that some of the damage that has been done in your life by virtue of sexual immorality. You've gotten saved. You've given your life to Christ. But you're struggling. And you're struggling because there can be residue from sexual sin that can survive conversion and begin to interfere with a marriage. Begin to interfere with your emotions. You're completely lost and dysfunctional when it comes to interacting with the opposite sex. Couples have all kinds of dysfunction in their marriages because of sexual immorality, either with each other or with others. You read some of the testimonies. That's us. That's what happened. So there's going to be healing at this altar tonight as you recognize, God, I want total healing. And it can be 15, 20 years after the fact. And still the residue remains. You've got to deal with it. You've got to acknowledge it. Is there anything in your marriage that is not of God? Is there a disconnect somewhere? Is there an inability to communicate physically, emotionally? Is that longing there? Some of you may have laughed when I was describing it because it's not in your marriage. Something's not right there. You can pray those things back into existence. That's what I'm talking about, God needing to heal. You can be madly in love. And be married for 40 or 45 years. The longing and the trust doesn't have to wear out. So there's an altar for married couples. There's an altar for single men and women tonight. Deal with these lingering issues. And remember, there's healing tonight. That's what we're contending for. Imagine if every one of us can be healed from the damage that had been done in our lives through sexual immorality. It'll make you a better person, a happier person. Some of the depression that you may be struggling with, some of the anxieties that you're feeling, all stem from the dysfunction that comes in this arena. Enough said. Let's all stand tonight. These altars are open. Let's come and find a place to pray. Let's not sing right now. Play music. Let's just have the altar call. And not be not not sing, but I want everyone to pray. You find a place to pray. We live in an unclean, immoral, 
sexualized, sinful, unclean, foul world. Oh, God. Hallelujah. You can pray a powerful prayer on your own. God, I break every curse that was loosed into my life through sexual immorality. I'm taking dominion over it and I'm commanding healing right now. Pastor Mitchell preached a powerful sermon on commanding healing. And deliverance. We don't ask for it. We can command it in the name of Jesus. When a girl trusts, when a woman trusts because of her sexual activity, and then that trust is shattered, sometimes she becomes dysfunctional and she can't trust anyone else again because of the pain. It's so, when you want to trust someone and you do trust someone and then you're let down, man, there's hardly anything worse than the emotional damage that comes from that. You need healing tonight. No man can heal that. Only Jesus. Father, we thank you, praise you, exalt you, glorify you, worship you, Lord. You're worthy to be praised. You're worthy to be exalted. You're worthy to be glorified. Oh, God, bring necessary conviction under repentance tonight in the name of Jesus. God, raise up young men and women. Raise up our youth, our teenagers to be abstinent, to contend for sexual purity and holiness to use their bodies to glorify God. Lord, I pray for married couples that you would wash away the residue that may have accumulated, Lord, and that may still be in place. Let there be cleansing and healing by the blood of Jesus. Oh, God, I thank you. I praise you, Lord. I love you. I exalt you. God, let there be healing tonight from all guilt and condemnation. I bind and break the power of its curse. Once you're forgiven, guilt and condemnation only comes from hell. You don't have to accept it. No matter how egregious the sin, when you repent, you're forgiven. I'm learning so much more about that reading now through the book of Jeremiah. You know, that book, we would call it a book of judgment. It isn't. It's a book. It's a, it's a love story. It really is. Read it chapter after chapter. I love you. I am restoring you. You may not have been right. You may not be right now, but you're coming back. I'm giving you hope. The city of Jerusalem is going to flourish once again. It's an incredible love story. Spoken to those that have sinned and betrayed and, and, and done wrong, but God is saying, I'm going to get you back. 
Oh, listen, he loves you. He's not angry with you, not mad. wants you just to come in repentance. Acknowledging your sin, letting go of your pride and your shame. Be merciful to me, O God. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray over every believer in this congregation, Lord. Let there be powerful healing, powerful cleansing, Lord, from the residue of damage done. I need to solicit all of you tonight. I talked to the staff, leaders in the church. One of the issues that I am most anxious about is the issue of sexual immorality in the congregation. A crowd this size at any given time, things are going on. I'm, I know that. I'm not ignorant, not stupid. But what is so wrong and so egregious is when the saints know about it and don't either confront the person to come and see me or come and tell me. When you cover for someone else's sexual immorality, you're contributing not only to the damage that they're doing to themselves, but you're contributing to the damage they're doing to the church because they're toxic. When there's active sexual sin that's being committed by someone who's regularly attending the church, I can assure you that damage is being done. They bring in a spirit, and that spirit traffics in the atmosphere of the congregation. All of us need to stand as instruments to protect the holiness and the sanctity of the congregation. If you know about, if you hear about, it needs to be dealt with. If someone had a contagious disease that would make you sick unto death, you wouldn't let him in your house. You'd stay away from that person, wouldn't you? In other words, you'd judge him. And in the same way, sexual sin needs to be judged because it affects the atmosphere of the church. I want us all to stand. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. And I need to ask every member of this congregation, how many will join with me protecting the moral integrity of our congregation. I want you to raise your hand. That means you're not going to cover someone else's sexual sin. It means you're going to pray with me, God. You help our pastor oversee the congregation. And if there are pockets of immorality, God, you expose. Not to punish those people, but to bring them to repentance and forgiveness. Pray with me. God in heaven, I thank you tonight for the power that's in the blood. And I pray healing and deliverance from every residue of sexual immorality that might be residing in my life. I break this curse from operating over my marriage, my relationship with my spouse, and over my heart and life as a single man or woman. And Lord, I'm going to stand along with our pastor.
to maintain moral purity in the house of God. I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe God to maintain moral purity. And if I hear about or know about sexual sin, I'm going to deal with it and confront it. Lord, I pray that you'd give us all the courage and the strength that we need to be a lighthouse of righteousness and holiness and moral purity. I commit my body and my soul and my spirit to moral and sexual purity. And Lord, I pray that over our congregation, that we would be that lighthouse in the midst of an unclean and perverse world. Help us, O oh God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's worship God tonight. He is Lord, He is Lord, He has risen. Amen. Stay right where you are, lifting our hands. He is Lord, He is Lord. He has risen from the dead, and He is Lord. Let's sing it to Jesus. He is Lord, yes. Lord of our bodies. Lord of our marriages. Oh, yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. He has risen from the dead. That's where the power comes from. To live clean and to do right.
Let's bow our heads tonight. We'll dismiss. A lot of ministry this weekend, a lot of new people in our church, and a lot of people to follow up on. Amen. Prayer on Saturday, outreach, the edge. Remember, it's on the road. Uh, we're, well, it's a little late now, but uh, maybe the address is posted. I think we have flyers for that, actually. So even the members of our church, take a flyer just so you have the address and you can uh, locate yourself at the outreach on Saturday night. And then Sunday, all day for Jesus, business meeting in the evening. And it's going to be a great day, a great time for God. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Uh, Angel Medina, would you close us in prayer? Thank God for speaking to our hearts here today.